This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. We're here today with Wharton Operations Information and Decisions Professor Gad Alon. Gad, thanks for being here. Hi, good to be here. And you're going to talk to us today about some of your most recent research. So first of all, could you tell us a little bit about what you studied and what was the main questions you were looking at? Yes, we're looking at the intersection between social networks and service providers and ask ourselves how should service providers think about these social networks. Now, social networks existed for many years. Um, Think about reading clubs, churches, and so on. But the emergence of the new social networks, such as Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, allowed firms to not only look at what customers do, but track it over time. So firms nowadays, for example, have presence on these social networks. But more importantly, consumers use these social networks to communicate among each other and tell others about experiences they had. Now, why is that interesting? In the past, we had key opinion leaders that had maybe access to the New York Times or to the Wall Street Journal and wrote there about food and and so on. But nowadays, we have more and more people that have access to, let's say, a thousand followers on Twitter. So we have to think about the idea of influence in a more nuanced way. So that's from the social network side. From a service provider side, technology enabled firms to micro-target and offer very segmented, differentiated services to customers. They can offer upgrades based on where you are, your history, what you've done. The combination of the two, the fact that firms can look at customers not only in terms of the value they bring, but also how they influence others on social networks, bring very interesting questions. And the main question we're trying to answer is how should service providers allocate scarce resources, whether these are priorities, better service, to customers based on their value, but also their social network presence, the network and how they influence and being influenced by others. Great. And so tell me a little bit more about what you found when you asked these questions and how they could be applied in business. So first of all, what we did was we built a model of how customers tell others about their services, how they form beliefs about the quality of the service based on their own experience, but also what other people tell them. And what we've done is identify an index, an idea we call centrality, of the customer, the economically adjusted centrality of the customer, looking at essentially not only the value they bring, but also how they influence others and how they are being influenced by others. And what we say, the main takeaway, is that firms should think about ranking their customers according to this index. Essentially, a customer should get high priority or a better service if it fits into one of three categories. It has many friends. It has very few friends, but these friends bring very high economic value. Or this customer himself brings very high economic value, but is not being influenced by others. If he's being influenced by others, I'm better off giving it to one of their uh, friends. But one of the main things that this doesn't have in it is this idea of friends of friends. As you notice, you need to look only at the closest circle. And that's what it stands in stark contrast to what we know about products or political opinions. And the reason for that comes really from the nature of services. The nature of service means that I'm offering customer a service only when, there, when they are there. 
which means that I can provide a very differentiated quality of service, which means that I, when the customer comes, I don't have to think about really about how this entire information is going to propagate. The moment they bring their, their friend, I can then decide on the right quality of service to provide. What it means is that it makes it much easier for firms to track and to combine this information into the decision-making process. Great. So how does this kind of interface, I was curious, like how does this interface with the concept of customer lifetime value? Because it sounds kind of similar, but... So while many firms track the lifetime value of their customers, very few firms understand how their customers interact among them on social networks. What we ask the question that is, should firms really go and obtain this information? And what we say, for firms to obtain this information, this information needs to be valuable. I mean the information on their social presence. And what we say, we look at basically the correlation between the economic value and social value. And surprisingly, we see that some businesses, there is positive correlation. I mean, the more vocal customers are also the ones that have higher lifetime value, in which case it's pretty easy. I know that I need to target those who life, high lifetime value. The situation, however, is that we see that in many businesses it's negatively correlated. Negatively correlated meaning you have highly vocal customers and customers with very high lifetime value. In this case, knowing the social network and knowing how it interacts with the lifetime value is crucial. In fact, we obtained data from Yelp and showed that for restaurants that are above average in terms of their pricing, they're very likely to have negative correlation between the two. In which case, knowing not only the lifetime value, but also the exact way that your customers interact with their friends is going to be crucial to be able to obtain better value from providing better service to the right customers. Great. And tell me a little bit about what's next for this research. Where are you going to go with it next? So the main question that we try to answer now is how should firms think about the difference between pure information and opinion on these social networks? There are many more markets for influencers, what we call key opinion leaders, where firms try to ask these people to tell their friends, tell other people, maybe celebrities, tell their audience about the product. But what part of that is purely informational and the goal is to bring additional volume? And what part of that is really trying to shape customers' opinion? Clearly, if you hear about a celebrity that got an amazing service from United, you heard about United before. The question is, can this information shape your opinion about a firm that you know already something about? Is it only for an emerging market or is it for a market that already exists? What we try to do is both empirically and theoretically try to disentangle these two effects. Great. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Great to be here. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.